visit patreon.com slash sword and laser. Sword and Laser hopes you will enjoy this program. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and awesome discussions from fans just like you. And joining us, uh, because we'll be wrapping up Consider Phlebas uh, later, uh, poet, dare I say, soon-to-be poet laureate Mm -hmm. of somewhere, Andrew Heaton is back on the show. Welcome back, Heaton. Thank you. It is delightful to be back. I'm thrilled to be with you and, and appreciate the head nods to my budding poet abilities, poetry abilities. I can swap words whenever I want as a poet. <laughs> when, when we la- It was a poetic way of mm-hmm. doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we last had Heaton on the show, uh, we introduced him as host of Alienating the Audience in the Political Orphanage, which he is, mm-hmm. uh, but you have become a poet since. Mm-hmm. Much, much like many of the characters in culture, uh, I am able to put on multiple identities and things in my life. And uh, yes, I uh, while I spoke to you last time, I was broadcasting out of my closet or recording in my closet in Los Angeles. I have since fled Los Angeles and written a best-selling poetry book about it called Los Angeles is Hideous, Poems About an Ugly City. And so, uh, uh, and it, yeah, it did surprisingly well. And I'm, I'm thrilled at how not angry all of my friends in Los Angeles are. <laughs> yeah. I had quite a lot of fun taking beautiful pictures of my neighborhood in Los Angeles and promoting mm-hmm. uh, Heaton's book, uh, Los Angeles is Hideous, at the same time. Yeah, that, confusing that, that was actually my favorite because I, I kept, I, I retweeted anybody that bought it, like, you know, sh- showed a picture of the cover, I would retweet it and say, you know, thank you, check it out. I Tom's were my favorite, though, because it was just deeply confusing to people because it was like is tom saying that his neighborhood's ugly it looks very pretty is he saying trees are ugly like it was and i like that i was like this is a like i like that tom is just going straight into the ambiguity of this kind of kaufman-esque fun of <laughs> inducing cognitive dissonance at other people that's, that's how they me- remember to buy your book that's awesome well i um you know, I, I I do love L.A. I think it's a great city, um, though. You can take the Dodgers with you back to New York. OK, if, if we'll you take them. Yeah, prefer. we'll take it back to Brooklyn. It's been too long. Yeah. yeah. OK, well, that seems reasonable. All right. Well, let's uh, are we are, what are you guys drinking? Are you drinking anything this evening or am I the only one? I, I have some Arizona sweet tea, but hold on. Watch this. Oh, oh, he's a poet's trick. I poured it into a highball, and it very much looks like I'm drinking scotch. So I'll pretend <laughs> really that I'm drinking Glen Levitt. A single malt Arizona sweet tea. Mm. Mm, but, delicious. But I, so I'm, I'm visiting New York, Veronica, and my favorite bar in the world is called Marie's Crisis. It's a show tune sing-along bar where everybody <gasps> sings show tunes. And, oh, okay, I gather you like show tunes, too. When you're in New I York, go to Marie's Crisis. It's wonderful. My favorite pianist, Franca, was there. And I, I meant, I meant to swing by for half an hour. I ended up being there for two or three hours. And while I am not hungover, I didn't eat, drink that much. I also have a very long Lincoln-esque face, and I don't feel like I can really mess around with inducing wrinkles anymore. So I'm just going to drink sweet tea and avoid the booze tonight. Mm, mm. That's fair. Um, That's fair. I'm having a pint glass of vodka. <laughs> no, it's definitely just water. water. Oh, to not look like Lincoln. Oh, Tom's got it made. Well, I am drinking kombucha. But it is hard kombucha. It's Ooh, extra hard kombucha because I guess kombucha, Ooh. by its very nature, still has a little bit of alcohol in it. But so, so it's fun and a a biotic. Yeah, and I'm gonna poop great later. Great! Oh, <laughs> fantastic! So, 
if you know, you're drinking, I guess it's harder kombucha. That's then? what I was. Th- I already made that joke. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you did. You made that exact joke. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I, so the the internet dropped a packet because I, I. Yeah. Oh, that was my funny packet too. It was. <laughs> Should I make a packet one. joke? I'm not going to make a packet joke. I'm going to sit back. <laughs> it's up All to you. Right. Well, hard let's packet. let's hard packets. Ooh. Let's jump into the quick burns. In honor of Honorary Scott Andrew Heaton's appearance on the show, we begin with news from Scotland via Jan. Neil Gaiman's Anansi Boys, ordered to series at Amazon, the six-episode limited series, will begin shooting this year in Scotland. Oh, very cool. I'm excited for that. I feel like I read that a very long time ago. A very long time ago. Have you read it? I have not read Anansi Boys. Uh, of all the Neil Gaiman things I've read, that is the one that I've missed it. And I know it's amazing because everyone I know who's read it loves it. Well, I'm still sad about American Gods being canceled over on HBO. So, or was it Showtime? Or was it Stars? It was Stars. That was, was why it I got canceled. <laughs> right there. Because <laughs> I know Where was it? I don't know, it. but I, got can- I, I loved it. <laughs> I think it was Stars. Anywho. Yeah, it was Stars. I haven't seen Anansi Boys, but I remember from elementary school that Anansi is a delightful trickster spider who I believe is African. So are they resetting it in Scotland or is there a part of Africa that looks like Glasgow? No, I think the book is about a Scottish boy and yet he somehow encounters the African Anansi trickster Ah, spider god. Okay. Okay. It's coming together. I see it. All right, here we go. Uh, Charlie Nancy, a young man who's used to being embarrassed by his estranged father, but when his father dies, Charlie discovers that his father was a Nancy, trickster god of stories. Hmm. And, you know, Mr. Nancy from American Gods, also similarly referenced right? there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It all comes back together. Tur- turned out my uncle was a river god. And uh, it just it happens sometimes. You know, you do the 23andMe test. And you're like, river god. Cool. All right. Yeah. Who knew? I am uh, directly descended from Zeus myself. You know what? I thought that. I thought that. <laughs> Isn't that true? Isn't that actually like in your... I, I did Ancestry.com. Uh, and the trick is, if you can find anyone in your ancestry that's related to any monarch in Europe, every monarch in Europe traced their ancestry back to the Roman emperors who mm-hmm. all traced their ancestry back to Zeus. And it's all in Ancestry.com. Okay. So so most people, because like Charlemagne who I think I'm descended from slept with so many people that at this point there are horses and basset hounds yeah. that are descended from Charlemagne. Exactly. So like, that's <laughs> an easy one to do. And then if you get Zeus. Charlemagne, yeah. then he goes to the Romans and you get to Zeus. Cool. All right. Char- nice. Charlemagne cousins, was, was my way in as well. So yeah. Excellent. Oh, so you're okay. basically cousins. Yeah. Pretty yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's why we never married. That's uh-huh. why your exactly. beards look so much alike. <laughs> It all makes sense. All right. We have a, uh, oh, yeah. Jan says, another one from Jan, Sword and Laser did it again. Naturally, Piranesi has won the Red Tentacle for Best Novel in this year's Kitschy Awards. Hmm. Uh, The British Tentacle-themed awards, recognizing the year's most progressive, intelligent, and entertaining fiction containing elements of the speculative and fantastic. The Golden Tentacle for Best Debut Novel went to The Space Between Worlds, by Micaiah Johnson. Micaiah, 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 Micaiah Johnson. Piranesi, uh, take, taking it home. Once again, mm-hmm. the magic touch. Well done. You picked Piranesi, right? I did. I really enjoyed you it. You pick too. all the award winners. That's why we never get any Hugos. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's why the show never gets any Hugos? Because yes, I, I'm too I don't good pick at the award thinking. winners. 
<laughs> so shouldn't you be winning Hugos and I should not be? Or should I? You should be winning World Fantasy Awards. I see. Oh, because it's a Hugo. I get it. Right. I get it. I get it now. Um, awesome. Yeah, that's very cool. Congratulations to Susanna Clark. And uh, Jan, three for three here, uh, who has another awards finalist announcement on their bingo card. If you do, the 2021 World Fantasy Award finalists have been announced. In the novel category, the finalists are a little-known novel called Piranesi by <laughs> Susanna Clark, uh, Trouble the Saints by Elia Don Johnson, The Only Good Indians by Stephen Graham Jones, Mexican Gothic by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia, and The Midnight Bargain by C.L. Polk. That's cool because I only know of Piranesi and Mexican Gothic. So I feel like now I have even more books to add to my to-read list because, yeah, I'm very intrigued. I I, I, I know C.L. Polk as an author, um, but I, I'm not familiar with Trouble the Saints or or uh, The Only Good Indians. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely some new things to check out. That's great. Yeah, I believe we've mentioned The Only Good Indians for a couple other awards. It's been getting a, a few award nominations here and there. So uh, it, there's Stephen some Graham buzz Jones. around that. Yeah. You, you had mentioned The Space Between Worlds a moment ago. Did, did you all read that for the show? We have not, no. I enjoyed that. I, I, I interviewed uh, M.R. Carey, um, who wrote uh, The Girl with All the Gifts, and I'm a very big fan of him. And he, he recommended that to me uh, after, after we were talking. And it was, it was fun. It's a, a multi-world book. So like, if you're into oh. multi-world type stuff, uh, and uh, uh, did am. that and had a, a, um, a good amount of characterization and sort of motivational analysis. Like it wasn't Isaac Asimov style, like interchangeable people. It was very character driven, but multi-world. It was, it was cool. I liked it. I have been meaning to read The Girl with All the Gifts, but I'm a little bit um, intimidated because I yeah, remember because it being so many pretty intense. Uh, it is phenomenal. I love that yeah. book and highly, highly recommend it. Okay, is it too scary? Is it scary? It's scary. It's a little scary. A little it's, scary? No, it, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say like within, uh, granted, it's not technically science fiction, it's speculative fiction, but within the broader umbrella of speculative fiction, it's not horror. It's not designed to make you scared. Uh, I think that it's um, a really, really well-written book, and uh, I, I, I like zombie stuff. So like Veronica, my, I had two hobbies during lockdown. One is I built my own watch, uh, which was kind of my like, massive beard ship in a bottle moment. And the other one is I tried to watch a zombie film from every country that's made a zombie film. And I oh. got up to like eight or nine or so to the point where I'm now pro Quebec. Previously, I was like, get with a program, learn English. But then I watched their zombie films and I was like, I must respect this province. Uh, and so I really like zombie stuff and the girl with all the gifts, um, phenomenal zombie book, um, treats them differently is, is different than, than other zombie things, but not being in a kitsch way. Um, it's also interesting looking at it from a British perspective, because in almost all zombie fiction in the United States, when uh, the the characters are out and about, the last thing you want to do is come up with a government. They're going to mess you up, right? You you want to stay mm-hmm. out on your own. Whereas the British are like these miserable people that won't get with a program and just let us solve the issue. They hang out in the woods and they eat bugs. And it's so it's it's very neat. Highly recommend it. Did you? Uh, this is taking us down a different path a little bit. But so, what? Which one did you like the best? I mean, if you're watching all these zombie flicks from all over the world, what were some of your top favorites? Thank you. Uh, so, um, Ravenu, which would be Ravenous in English, was produced uh, in Quebec, as I mentioned. And that was my favorite one. I really like that one. I like films that um, assume that the audience is smart and doesn't have to have things explained to them. There were several moments in that film where, uh, like, there, there's uh, two ladies that live in the house, uh, in, in a house, and 
Um, uh, it's just very clear they're lovers and no one ever has to go, we're lesbians. Like they never do that. You just, you're allowed to put it together. Uh, you could tell that somebody's adopted. And, um, in addition to having all of that, one of the things that I found fascinating about the film was it had, um, every once in a while a zombie would bite somebody and you'd see this look of smug victory in the zombie's eyes before it went back to being a zombie as if there was some, there was still some human element there that was twisted and bad but not enough to like where they're thinking about it. And they would mm-hmm. assemble these weird, they would just get all the chairs they could find and they put them in a big pile and stare at them. And they never really quite explain what's happening, but that just that little bit of assuming that there's some kind of structure in place that you're unaware of rather than randomosity made it such a, a fascinating film because you're, you're kind of the whole time trying to figure out what's happening. And it's, it's done in a very smart way. It's a very smart zombie film. And so uh, hats off film Quebec. Very cool. I probably won't watch them because I'm a big chicken when it comes to stuff like that. But I feel like you could do that with vampire movies from around the world, too. Yeah. Like that, probably, maybe that should be your next pandemic too. project. <laughs> you know what? Yes, exactly right. If it, once we get to the gamma variant, I will absolutely make that <laughs> my thing. <laughs> Heading to the vampires. All right. Well, moving on to happier subjects. Um, the three for From Yawn continues with the new Dune trailer. Oh, my gosh. Trailer number two. So good. Have you guys watched it yet? Yes. Oh, all right. Well, Tom has watched it's it. All right. Star studded, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you you knew this if you were paying attention to the casting announcements, but just seeing everybody really like hit home, we were like, oh, there's Jason Momoa. Oh, there's yeah. Timothy Chalamet. Oh, there's Brolin. Oh, there, you know, and it's just like boom, 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 boom. Uh, and it looks like I imagine Dune when I read Dune, which I've done more than once. Uh, I think it even and is better looking than I imagine Dune to maybe, look or cooler yeah, looking. It may be. Uh, the, just talking about the trailer, mm-hmm. who knows what the movie is going to be like? Uh, I, I assume it's going to be good, but I am, I'm very pleased with the trailer and very excited to watch the movie. I kind of feel like, Oh, I have really high hopes. I, that, that trailer made me get extra excited and then going on. Well, you know, I will talk later. I was on Dune pod again last week or so. And, uh, we talked a lot about that and, Oh, they, I, no, we didn't talk about it cause it hadn't come out yet. They were doing a live what? event at the Metreon, um, where they went to go actually watch the trailer. So they like waited in line for hours oh, wow. to, to watch, watch the trailer? A, like a f- couple minute trailer <laughs> yeah. That's great. Nice <laughs> on the big screen. Um, so they, you know, super fans, uh, I'm, I'm pretty stoked for this one for sure. Yeah. So far, so good. Denis Villeneuve. Well done. Uh, Joanna, not Jan. So we're, <laughs> thank you, Jan. Now Jan it's time to Anna. hand things over to Joanna. Uh, the European Science Fiction Society Awards have been announced. English speakers can check out books by Victor Pelevin, named the best author in the Hall of Fame Awards category. Uh, the, and if you are looking for non-English books, there's a lot of good ones on this list as well. I'm disappointed you didn't react to me saying Jan-Anna. Like That's Jan, your takeaway from Joanna. the European Science Fiction Society Awards. Yanana. Yeah. You just, no? Okay. Yeah. It's so American of you to just like I'm not rush the European Science Fiction Awards under <laughs> Unless the Unless there's under the oil bus involved, again. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, Mark says for those of you who don't have enough t shirts, author tees branded like metal band tees. All right, let's see I what we got here. Adore this. I'm not sure the Le Guin t-shirt has got a oh, very good uh, yes. vibe to it, <gasps> but I think my favorite would be the uh, Metallica-like Jane Austen shirt. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty yeah. good. 
with the bat wing on the A and the N of Austin. I think and I, I can I've... then wear it in Austin and people will think I'm misspelled the name of their town. I'm really liking the female representation here, too. We've got Mary Shelley. We've got Maya Angelou. We've got the Bronte sisters, Jane Austen, Octavia Butler, Shirley Jackson, Toni Morrison, Ursula K. Le Guin. And then we've got, you know, we got Oscar Wilde, Charles Dickens, some good ones here. Sylvia Plath. Yeah, I think I want the Octavia Butler shirt pretty much. Those are those are fantastic. They they look great, and I like that you could have the Octavia Butler T-shirt, and then like slip into a a hard hard heavy metal type concert, maybe a biker bar, <laughs> undetected. Yeah. I think that'd be fantastic. Oh, and you can choose yeah. different shirt designs, and you can choose like, all the colors. <laughs> so cool! Yeah. Oh, and if you do go shop uh, at this, uh, for instance, the Austin T-shirt only shows up as a muscle tee, which I think is great. Uh, but if you click in, you can you can choose anything. You can choose hoodies and regular T-shirts and all of that. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Oh no, we have another oh, yawn. So Oh, we're back to Jan. Thank you, Jan. Uh, good, good to have you back. Uh, in news about novel adaptions that potentially could actually happen or not, writes Jan. In addition to the Amazon Prime Video series, there's also going to be a Wheel of Film, a Wheel of Time film trilogy. The first movie, Age of Legends, if actually made, would be set several millennia before the time of the books in a futuristic utopia powered by magic. Uh, this, according to Hollywood Reporter, so they're taking. Some of the material from flashbacks in the Wheel of Time series and some of the material from the ancillary guidebooks uh, and putting it into three prequel movies that tell all the stories prior to the main series. Is it too many? Is it too much? It's too much. I'm feeling like it's too much, but I think this is because I was never able to finish the series. It's it's only a matter of whether it's good or not, if you're a Wheel of Time fan, I suspect. So I, I've I've not read that series, and I'm probably confusing it. Is is there one? It's the Golden Compass. That's a completely different thing, right? Different yeah. thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, this is Robert Jordan. Robert okay. Jordan right. finished by with the last book by Brandon Sanderson. Okay. All right. Um. He, yeah. Twelve novels, I think. So if many I'm, novels. Oh, that's so many great. Novels. I think I only made it to the first, to the fourth. <laughs> Oh, Which that, is no, still like, a lot of wheel of time. When I when I got through reading uh, uh, George R. R. Martin's novels, it's like when you finish them, it's like you're getting out of a long term relationship. You're like, I don't mm-hmm. know what to do with myself now. What do I? I haven't read any other books in so long. I'm out of the game. <laughs> I'm gonna have to get an app to download new books. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, no, that's great. If there's twelve of them, I'll dive. I'll dive in. I like the idea that you started reading the. Um... George R. R. Martin books, and by the time you were done, like Kindle had been invented, and now you had to learn how to use ebooks because you had only ever read them in paper, hardcover, and paperback. Yeah, that, that was pretty yeah. accurate. That's exactly right. That's great. And uh, there's still more to come from George R. R. Martin. Yeah, you're not sure, done yet. Sure. <laughs> sure, there is. Sure. Yeah, there sure. Is. Yeah. Of course, there is. It, it, at least in terms of book deals, there are. Definitely. Yeah. Then TV adaptations. Okay, here's your second chance, Veronica. Joanna says, I know oh, I that you're going to what? Do the, what was the yawn? What? I thought you were going to do the yawn joke I know, again. I, and then I would, bad, I would I laugh didn't. this time. Because, okay. No, but I feel bad because Joanna is really <laughs> submitting quick burns and I don't want to, like okay. I said, erase right, her from, from the history. I'm trying to put you on the spot. It's okay. 
Yanana says, I know that the TV <laughs> adaptation news are a dozen a dime today, huh. but this one is about SNL recent pick. A24 has acquired the rights to the adaptation of Octavia Butler's Parable Parable. Parabola, parabola, parabola of the sower. The Deadline article also mentions that the book had reached the New York Times bestseller list in September 2020. Wait a second. First time in 27 years after its first publication. Did we do that? We did. We did not do that uh, because we didn't read it until January 20. Yeah, it was the first oh, book you oh. it was the first book you all read after, when I went on maternity. It was leave. January 2021. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes. I just want to we give a, a, a hats off to uh, Jan and Joanna for, I think, outpacing me, the third guy on the show, in terms of contributing stuff right now. They're doing fantastic. <laughs> well done, you two. Yes. In uh, first place is Veronica. Second is Jan <laughs> and Joanna. <laughs> and then coming in behind in the bronze medal position is uh, me and Heaton. Yeah, we, 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 get, we get copper medals in the tentacle awards. Yes. <laughs> Well, if if you're out there and you're like, hey, I can contribute too. My name may not be Jan or Joanna, but I can also give quick burns. Then you should have it over to goodreads.com slash sword and laser and head to our Goodreads thread. And Add we them do in there. Sincerely thank Jan and oh, Joanna yeah. uh, uh, and Mark and everybody else uh, for, for contributing to the show. It's awesome. They're the best. All righty. Let's hop into Barrier Sword, which is our feedback from the audience. Tamahome uh, wrote on Goodreads, Tom has Liam Neeson Hansonus, mm. which uh, is not true, but really made my day today when I finally got around to reading that comment. So thank you, Tamahome. I, I think that's, that's really true. Nice. And I, I will add that whenever I hang out with Tom recreationally, we spend most of it tracking down and violently hurting people who've captured Tom's family. So I think that that's yeah. really actually spot on in many ways. That's, uh, he does uh, have a unique it's kind set of, of skills. Because I just spend yeah. all my time on the phone threatening people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. It's, it's like I'm like, we're watching the game, Tom. Come on. <laughs> Do that and or being cut in half. <laughs> Wait, what? Is that a Liam Neeson show reference? Oh, I don't know. He doesn't get cut in half. Darth Maul gets cut in half. But okay, yeah. I was like, wait a second. I don't remember that from Token. <sighs> thank, thank God he's handsome. It compensates for the lack of Star Wars canon knowledge. <laughs> you can't even tell Qui Gon Jim from Darth Maul. He's all looks. Um, that's very nice, Tomahome. Thank you for saying that about Tom. Yes, thank you very much. Um, say something nice about me next time. Tazzy Dave says, it was cool to see you idiots on video. Hopefully I can watch IRL next time and comment. I'm pretty sure laminating stamps will preserve the stamps, but destroy any future value, you idiots. <laughs> we were calling ourselves idiots. We put it in the title. Tazzy Dave is one of our moderators. So I could see the the horrified expression on Heaton's face as he's like, wow, they're just letting this troll call them idiots. Hold yeah, on, well, wait, wait, wait. I, 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 I'm hoping that there was some specific reference to stamps. It wasn't that this had never been spoken. That they went, <laughs> no, I'm going to tell these morons about stamps <laughs> and, and, and because they're the kind of idiots who wouldn't even know. <laughs> I'm first of all, I didn't even notice this. So we're doing our second week of recording on Riverside.fm and I totally forgot to promote the live episode at all. So I, I didn't tell Goodreads. I didn't tell Twitter. Basically told Discord, like, I forgot to promote this. But guess who's in the chat? Our Mutt, 1917, once again, has joined us. <laughs> he figured it out. Our most he dedicated our, viewer. He was our oh. prolific chatter from last time. Cool. Secret. 
Secrets secret live stream. Um, I will, now that we're like on a schedule and we know what we're doing a little bit, I don't even know if anyone wants to check to see if this is live streaming on YouTube, that would be great. But I think he's watching directly from Riverside. Um, yeah, we're still figuring this thing out. I promise I'll get better about it. Still trying to figure my life out over here. It's tough going. So this I, is- I uh, keep forgetting that that we're recording the video on this i hope i've not done anything horrible have i been like picking my teeth with a screwdriver or anything as we've been talking not that have i been... remember no. oh, okay good noticed. i think you're good okay. all right yeah you are me screwdriver down we are... I, well, yeah but i that was per the agreement i am i'm not gonna wear clothes when i do this uh that'll make rider. people check out the video uh <laughs> And and people seem pretty excited that that we were offering video for this. Uh, Jenny even wrote, "Tom's pop screen appears to float in space." It really does. Yes, yes, it does. I, I like to think of it like a like a dark halo, like your your microphone has this cool robot halo hanging over it in the robot afterlife. So it looks uh, like I yeah. have my my crap together here with my mic all close to my face. If you could actually see just mere inches lower. You would see that it's stacked on books, and mm-hmm. I can't access my keyboard at all. So that's why there's a lot of <laughs> live stream difficulty and typing difficulty. I can't do anything. It's either talk or type. That's what you get. So Armut 1917, say whatever you want to Veronica. She can't respond. He says, I'm not, we're not live on YouTube that I can see. I don't know how to get it going. <laughs> We recorded a, a five-second video on YouTube last week because I accidentally hit the button as we were shutting down the podcast, and that's what yeah. went to YouTube. We'll figure this out. One of these days, we'll figure this out. Uh, and Jenny, let me know if you want me to uh, pull back the veil and tell you how I get my pop screen to float in space. Otherwise, I will leave it as a mystery. All right. We got more more comments from Tamahome. Thank you. Uh, Fleabus. I like the shiny SF culture stuff more than the gruesome stuff. Cough, eaters, cough. The damage chapter was fun. In the end, it's pretty dark, but after I got over the hump, one of the last chapters was very dramatic. I even enjoyed the fake appendices. Oh, it's a Twitter review. I, I get it. Okay. Very nice. Yeah. Because yeah. it's, it's, it's always a, a challenge to, to fit your review into the Twitter space. They made it a little easier when they went to 280, but it's still, uh, still a nice challenge. Well done, Tamahome. Mm-hmm. Good job. Oh, and then uh, also Dune Pod, we, uh, Veronica mentioned it earlier, uh, featured Veronica Belmont said, New Pod, it's our 50th episode. Delighted to be rejoined by Sword and Laser's Veronica to discuss Time Bandits, the 1981 film, Sean Connery, The Evils of Modern Kitchen Appliances, and Veronica Sings. It's a great way to celebrate our big 5-0. Uh, not only did she sing, but she sang words that you can't say in front of her own mother. <laughs> oh, I can say them in for my mother. I can't. You can. You probably could too. She's pretty she foul mouthed. Disappointed in me, though. <laughs> I sang the Jeff Bezos song um, from Bo Burnham. Uh, it was applicable in the moment. Uh, they recorded mm-hmm. it and posted it on Twitter. So if you want to hear that, it's over on my Twitter account or on the Dune Pod Twitter account. There's a lot of things I regret saying on public in that episode. Anyhow, I think um, you sounded you- great. Thank you. Yeah, put um, it in my head. I was I had it stuck in my head after I listened. Have you did you watch Time Bandits, you know, back when you were in your early 30s when it came out? No, when I was in my early 30s it was already out on VHS, so that's when mm. I I bought I did watch it later, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> uh, I am I am unfamiliar with Dune Pod. I had uh for some reason assumed it had detailed Dune. Um, is Time Bandits an offshoot of Dune or did they run out of Dune and just start hitting up uh, Sean Connery films? So, yeah, they it's 
complicated. So yeah, it, it, I'm not actually sure how Time Bandits fits in because most of the films that we that they watch are affiliated somehow with Dune, the new Dune. Okay. Um, so like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure how this one fits in. But I had never seen Time Bandits before, so that was that was new to me, and I didn't. I did enjoy watch it. it on VHS though. Did you? Yeah, it came out before I was born. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I Just didn't see it in though. the theater, though I was 11. Did you drive to the theater? When I was 11? <laughs> it, the whole Liam Neeson thing was already starting. He hotwired a yeah. car. He, he <laughs> throttled his way to Quail Springs Mall to watch sure. that at AMC. Eden, I'm sorry. You've come, into yeah. a, you've come into a very complicated, <laughs> long-running laws, laws joke. Laws were different in Southern <laughs> Illinois back then. You know, as an 11-year-old, I could drive a tractor mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I could drive it all the way to the mall. So. All right. Should we hop into the Book of the Month discussion? <sighs> Let's do that. Let's do it. Uh, All right. Yes. Next month, uh, the book pick uh, via Veronica Belmont is The Ruthless Lady's Guide to Wizardry by C.M. Wagoner. Um, C.M. Wagoner is a humble author for all your wizard needs. Uh, Honestly, one of the best authors at hiding anything about their actual life that I've found. (laughs) Uh, That's most of what I have in the book briefing. Uh, She enjoys ramen, especially the fancy kind with three different seasoning packets. Uh, But The Ruthless Lady's Guide to Wizardry really put me in mind of Theodora Goss. Uh, We Mm, previously mm -hmm. read um, The uh, Strange Strange Case Case of the the Alchemist's Daughter. Mm -hmm. And so it's not like that story wise, but it is, you know, plucky modern takes on, uh, Victorian era situations, except in this case, it's a magical world with, uh, with alchemists and and wizards and, and trolls and all that sort of thing. And it's, um, I, you know, won't spoil it and save all of it for, for the actual kickoff, uh, next episode, but it is delightful. I'm having so much fun reading it. Sweet. Yeah, I can't wait. I haven't started it yet, um, but it was my pick. Um, so I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think I was having trouble picking this month. I just couldn't like wrap my head around what I felt like reading. Um, so I went back to March Madness and just looked at some of the things that were pretty close in the running because I figured, okay, well, you know, they're there for a reason. People were excited about them. They've got, you know, strong support in the sword and laser community. Um, and so it was between that and Rivers of London and this one just kind of spoke to me a little bit more. So I'm sure Rivers of London will be a future pick as well, um, in case you're excited to read that one too. But yeah, this is this sounds like a good one. Stoked. Okay. No other Indeed. comments. Shall we uh, Shall we yeah. wrap up Consider Phlebas? <laughs> Let's do it. All right. So I have a confession. This will be full spoilery, um, including to myself, because I didn't finish the book <laughs> in time. Um, I got to uh, Shar's World, basically, is, is where I, I made it to in the audiobook. Um, so I had to read the Wikipedia page and also have Tom explain kind of what happened to me in the end. And now I kind of feel like I don't want to finish it because I'm depressed. That's understandable. Uh, as we said, it's spoilery and, uh, it gets very Macbeth at the end, uh, as, as all, everybody dies all but one. It's not, not, not entirely, I guess more Hamlet than Macbeth. It gets very Hamlet yeah. at the end. Hamlet-esque. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Wait, does Maul the drone die too? Does the drone no, the, the, even die? The, 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 the drone is happily making like model ships or something like the, right. the, 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 the drone is like goes alive off retirement. in yeah. the epitaph. Oh, okay. Yeah. The drone is okay. The drone is okay. But, uh, yeah. Uh, everybody else dead, including uh, again. We're doing spoilers, correct? Just want to make absolutely yes, sure. Yes. This is a not wrap up is, episode. Not only is everybody dead, 
the whole changer species is dead. It just like a like Wiped an afternoon. Like they, they go through the whole epi- like the whole epilogue of like this is what happened to this lady. Eight paragraphs, and then it's like, oh, by the way, the changers were killed at the end of the war. One sentence. <laughs> yeah. Species they got wiped rid of out. all of them. None of yeah. those left. Didn't want to use those in any future books, so gone. Well, mm-hmm. I guess in a way, I mean, everyone already thought they were extinct, so it's it's only depressing to us. Mm. And the changers, if you think about it, and the changers yeah. who died. Yeah. Mm. Um, well, and I I think hmm, there I, this is going to reflect my thoughts on the entire book. I love the surprising nature of it. I love the idea of saying, you know what? Yes, we got you uh, to to know an entire culture and uh, pulled the plug uh, on it. Uh, and, and that's the kind of universe you're in. It's a real universe with consequences. On the other hand, I did feel a little ripped off that I invested so much in Hotza over the entire uh, story. And then he just died at the end. Like, uh, and, and his death wasn't particularly meaningful because it happened yeah. after everything else was over. It kind of seemed like, a, based on what I read, it kind of feels like a case of mistaken identity or just like not enough information. Like, it's not like like the adherents were just like, mm, we don't know your situation. Like, is that is that so? It's not far off because he's trying to convince the adherents that he's on their side and they don't believe him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So <sighs> it's depressing. But Balveda gets out, which is nice, I guess. Well, she yeah, she gets out. But then she she. uh um, has herself frozen until which time the culture determines that more people would have died by not having the war than having the war, and then uh, goes, oh, okay, good. Well, glad that's confirmed, and then euthanizes herself. So she, Wait, like, what? It, it's, yeah. yeah. She vaught, like, she she basically feels really bad and is like, I don't want, nobody wake me up until everyone's confident, can mathematically prove it was a good idea that we killed, I think it's eight, 861 billion people over the course of the galaxy. And then they they wake her up along with apparently other millions of people, and she goes back to her home planet and does voluntary euthanasia. Yeah, she just wanted to be sure. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. But okay. you know, at that point, you're so out of you know, all your friends are are gone and moved, and you can't find their address. So yeah, she just yeah, you, you just got that herself. drone. That's it. <laughs> yeah, that's going out of making the ships in a bottle or whatever. Yeah. You could do that. Yeah. <sighs> it's gonna sound like I didn't like this book sometimes, but. I did. I I just didn't like it as much as I thought I would. And uh, this is consistent with a lot of people saying, yes, consider Phlebas is where you should start if you want to read the first book in the culture series. But no, it's not the best introduction to the culture series. I, okay. I buy that. I have I have mixed thoughts on Ian Banks. Um, I, 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 I This has happened with a couple of other authors where I'll go, oh, man, the world building is unparalleled here. This is a fascinating concept. Ian Banks, brilliant. I think the concept of the culture is fascinating. Of this post scarcity, uh, uh, po- post scarcity, like decentralized anarcho communist techno state where you can do whatever you want and be whatever you want. And the biggest thing you got to worry about is what to do with all your free time. Like it's fascinating stuff. I I did not find myself liking the way he constructs sentences. And and what I mean by that is I found him to have such a steady methodical gate in every single sentence he wrote throughout the entire book that it it was very difficult for me to get gripped by it because it was just mm-hmm. like a metronome. And mm. uh, and and then I, I also felt like it was a little bit disjointed and that I was kind of reading like a short story analogy or a short story anthology. Uh, yeah, and so anthology. Mm-hmm. All of the broader stuff I loved, but the application of it, I had a harder time getting into. Yeah, there's almost yeah. a Martian Chronicles-like feel 
to it, which was mm, a collection yeah. of stories, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, um, for sure. Except that you have a single character in Horza all the way through. But True, yeah. uh, I was enjoying the sort of Odysseus type uh, adventures that he was going on. Uh, and I and I was enjoying it from the the standpoint of it being an adventure story. If you if you like story, mm. I you know, and I mentioned this on the last episode. I think you're going to like this book more than if you're like I I like character. I like you know I want depth of character or to your point, Heaton, writing style. If if you if you want prose, uh, this is very much a story driven. Like let's just have adventures and play with concepts. And in, in that respect, I did enjoy it. Yeah, I think a lot of people on Discord and in the forums were were similarly feeling that way about it feeling more like, you know, kind of jumping around, not necessarily connected, not really kind of leading towards the ultimate goal, almost kind of wasting time getting to the ultimate goal in a way. Um, I didn't really think about that until it was mentioned to me and then it infected my thoughts. And then every time something uh, new happened mm-hmm. to Horza, I would be like, okay, we're still not at Shara's world. Like, why is, why are we bothering with this part? But ultimately that's how he got the there. Ride. I mean, it, he had to, it's a, world, it's a world book. Yeah. Yeah. And he, and he had to, um, you know, Craiklin, he had to take over Craiklin's post on the cat so he could get to Shar's world. But I guess he really probably could have taken any ship or, or figured out another way to get there. I don't know. Why couldn't he just go back to the Adirans, like call them and have them come pick, pick him up. Cause he was undercover. Cause he was a spy, but they knew who he was. Some so he of had them to, like, didn't. Hence the point at Shar's world where the, the I think he clicked. was afraid he was going to, he was afraid that the culture would get to him before the iterans would. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was, like, it was when, better when he's for on, him to stay undercover. You're right. When he's on mm. orbital of Ivatch, the culture's coming to blow it up. So they're probably closer. And then there's no point after that. I don't think where he's closer to iteran space. Um, although I, I'm also covering for Ian Banks. That might be just a plot hole. Well, it, it, it's, but it's not such a huge plot hole that that really bothered me. It's like, yeah, he's, he's a spy. He needs to get to his objective as stealthily as possible and changing into the captain of a ship that he has disposed of pretty good, pretty good way to stay off the record. As long as nobody discovers you swapped out for him. Like that all made sense to me. That yeah, all scanned. I will say I, I loved, I did not like Craiklin as a character, but, but, but what I mean is earlier phrases, I didn't like Craiklin as a person. He was a great character. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ian Banks did a wonderful job of making you despise Cricklin, who is a basically half pirate, half frat boy. Uh, right. And and just just the second you read about him, you're like, I do not like this person. I would not want to hang out with this person. Uh, and he, he does a great job of doing that through and through. And I liked that he really embraced the bucket of bolts type thing with the uh, with the clear air turbulence. And mm-hmm. just you, you're you're aware that this is far beyond millennium Falcon ragtag level where like, just like there's a whole gun that doesn't work. That's basically ornamental. And, uh, and, and is, it's a neat thing too, because I feel like he's on the one hand, he's juxtaposing this incredible techno culture world where their minds and all these like, you know, shiny, cool stuff. And then meanwhile, there's this spadge cocked duct taped mercenary group, which unapologetically is murdering people for money. Because they live on the periphery of, of civilization. I was like, that that is cool. Again, the world building was terrific. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was also fascinated by the game. You know, the, the, the high stakes game that is played only at places about to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it was very Douglas Adams-ish uh, in a way. Totally. Mm-hmm. Totally. 
Um, I think people were making fun of me for having trouble visualizing large set pieces in books. And I did continue to have that issue um, with the orbital and with the crash on, on the planet and just picturing everything that was happening. And it was, uh, I did kind of con- continue to have that problem going throughout, but I don't think I realized, like, I mean, this book was published in 1987. And I think a lot of the subjects and topics in this book feel so modern. And it, it to me, it could have been written now and would totally fit in. And I don't know if you guys agree with that, but it I, I was kind of surprised to read about the fact that it was published that far back. Like, I mean, I guess I knew that, but I didn't, hadn't really thought about it while I was reading it. But That's like the lines point. and the concept of the drones and mm-hmm. just like the level of the technology and the AI and, and some of the other subject matters that he covers is is like pretty. I, I agree. Co- I, I actually I think I think that's a wonderful point. Like if you go back to the the 80s, a lot of the science fiction that you had coming out was kind of Blade Runner, Blade Runner dystopia of yeah. like yeah. Cap- capitalism amok and everybody living in a gutter in a trench coat. And Ian Banks goes hard the other direction, or at least he's going to go hard the other direction with the culture of this utopian world. And at the same time, like one of the other things that is just constantly subconsciously there during the eighties is uh, the cold war. And uh, we don't have a cold war at all in this book. We have a hot war mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and it doesn't, I, I, when I was reading it, I never got the impression that there was an allegory between the Soviet union and the United States. It just didn't come up. It struck me as like Huntington's clash of civilizations and sort of mutually in, incompatible religious worldviews that were, were coming up against each other in a way that d- doesn't feel like Cold War so much to me as, as something either older or newer. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's something newer, somewhat sure. timeless, really. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I, I, I think, too, that uh, what may get lost on a lot of modern readers is many of the concepts in the book are unthinkable in 1987, and he throws them away. Uh, you know, the, he he sort of casually mentions that like, yeah, people can change genders whenever they want, but whatever. Mm-hmm. On mm-hmm. on with the story. Like, uh, written today, that would be like, oh, I guess he didn't want to investigate that. Normally, you know, someone would dig into that a little more in a modern book. In 1987, that's I that that's a crazy idea. You don't see that idea in in almost anything. And there's a lot of other examples of that. Yeah, I kind of wish I had kept better track of them going throughout the book, mm. but um you know, I kind of feel like I changed my mind. I felt like they were like very like the stories, the adventures he was having felt disconnected, but now that I think about them, the only one that sticks out to me as not really having much of a purpose was the eaters. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was <laughs> my least favorite part of the book. I I was reading that and I was like, "What is the okay, false prophets are bad? Like what like what is the and I'm trying to is this some kind of metaphor for the Iterans because they're religion? No, it's like, no, he just wanted to have a cult scene. He just wanted to have a, a weird just cult Just a scene. weird false prophet that eats people and then has sex yeah. with their corpses. Yep. It was it was trapped in a cave, but he's like, what if it's not just a cave? <laughs> you know, like, because that's, that's all that scene is, is like, oh, he's, he's trapped in the cave. He needs to get out of the cave and get back to the ship so he can carry on with his adventure, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's perfectly reasonable in a story. Like, oh, how is our, our hero going to get out of this one? But, but Ian Banks was like, what if the cave's filled with cannibals? Wait a minute. What if they're not just cannibals? What if the cannibals are led by a weird sex cult leader? Mm. Uh, and it, what if yeah, they only uh, eat it, filth? What if? Yeah. And what, what if the sex cult leader is the only one that is the cannibal and he doesn't let anybody else eat anything but dirt? And they're all, well, that would make them all sick. So, let's, yeah, it just, I, I, 
I don't know that it's bad, but it felt like maybe uh, some ideas, some really cool ideas got on the page that weren't necessary. You know, it, that, yeah. that said, though, I, I do like the egress from that situation where he gets in the shuttle. Like, I, I enjoyed that bit because it's the shuttle seems like a nice dude. Yeah, like the, totally. the shuttle's like, hey, like, just so you know, we got to leave here pretty quick. And like, like you know, can, can you tell everybody <laughs> else to get on because they're going to blow this up? And he's like, yeah, just leave now. And he's like, you know, I can't do that. I get what you're I saying, really but can't I can't do that. do that. I got to stay here and tell anybody that wants to come on, come on. But then we're totally going to go. And then he blows the thing's brains out. And, and, <laughs> and I'm reading this going, okay. The shuttle appear like the shuttle starts panicking when he says there's a fire. Like the shuttle's like, yeah, where is it? Where's it coming so from? So it's for it. so, so it's not a it's not like soulless AI. It appears to have like you're it's he's killing a being. He's committing murder, and it it, it makes it, a sad it, it was, little sound at the end. Yeah, like it, it, it's it's interesting to me that it was like okay, either Horza is a very a much more chaotic neutral character than I had hitherto assumed, uh, mm-hmm. or alternately he truly hates AI. Uh, and and this is just a manifestation of how how little he cares for it. Although I uh, maybe I missed something or I forgot something. Nope. Did they ever really explain nope. where that comes from? Because it's <laughs> no. he, that, that was one of the other problems I had in the book is he's like, well, you know, the Iterans are this massive, brutal, militaristic culture having a crazy jihad across the galaxy to subjugate all the races. But man, at least they don't have Microsoft. I can get behind them because, like, sure, I can't. I can't get behind this civilization that has very good computers. At, uh, at yeah. least you get a <laughs> little more seem background. Pretty happy. Yeah. yeah, you you get a you get a little more background on uh, the changers and their role in society. And I could I could actually sort of gut understand. Oh, the the culture wants to keep us from having choice, right? They, they, they keep everybody had, they, they, he mentions that a couple of times, like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. They provide you everything, but they take away uh serendipity. Yeah. They take away the right to live and, Deal. and, and so I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I could see why he'd, he'd be against them. The, the droid thing, the, the anti-droid thing where he like hates AI. Cause it comes out with the drone. Yeah. The too. drone too. The drone's like, Hey, I got a name and he's like, fine. And it says like, I, he tries his, his best to communicate how bogus he thinks this is. Yeah, uh, and we never get a real understanding of 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 where the drone hurt him uh, and why mm. why he holds something his, against him. His changer girlfriend got his danger. A, a drone stole his gal, ran yeah. off with with a drone. Or guy, or guy <laughs> that like used to be a gal aggressive. and changed back to a guy. He's, yeah, yeah. He chaotic, chaotic neutral is definitely a good way to describe. Or is it? I think well, and, and like, there's also the, the other thing I find interesting is like if if you watch like um. Like they never really deal with this in the Star Wars universe up until uh, uh, Rogue One, of like, mm-hmm. hey, aren't aren't all the robots here slaves? Don't you just have like massive galactic slavery? And then in Rogue One, it's like it's like you're you're all bigots unless you're in favor. He never really does that with like like he makes never says like Ed Horza was a good guy but a bigot. Like he doesn't really yeah. like it's just no, he just hates him. The, the drone does it. The drone's like, ah, oh, you, yeah. you give me no respect. I'm a life form. Come on. Like, say and, my and, name. Like, I have a name. Like, this yeah, is my everyone name. Else I'm going is to just college. Like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> like, I have, I'm supposed to be going to college. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Sorry. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> I felt bad. I, I think I would be on the culture side. We got uh, some some feedback from uh, folks uh, that we want to highlight uh, here. This one's from Goodreads, and it's from Ian. 
Uh, I believe it is not ENM Banks, though it is spelled the same. Uh, Ian says, hi, a third of the way in on this reread of uh, Consider Phlebas for the first time in more than 20 years. One thing I've picked up on in this reading is how futile the efforts of our protagonist are, if we can call him a protagonist. Mm-hmm. Certainly nothing he does seems to have any effect of and significance on the wider world. On this reading, I'm picking up an extremely strong anti-war message that may be coming through much more clearly than before, since I've witnessed a few additional pointless wars beyond the Falklands, which may be mm-hmm. a distant inspiration. The horror and damage caused for your beliefs seems to be a theme that runs through the culture books. Yeah, true uh, I can't that. believe this person is denigrating the great work of Margaret Thatcher in protecting our sheep stock in, uh, in <laughs> the coast of Argentina. This was a, a vital, pivotal role <laughs> in the ongoing maintenance of the British Empire. What are you talking about? I can't about? believe he's taking a side and, and calling those islands the Falklands. Uh, yeah, exactly. Oh, it was the point of the matter. Um, yeah. Anyway, the yeah, totally, totally. Very deep anti-war sentiment, though. You know, at the same time, Hort says, like, he doesn't seem to be super anti-war himself. I think the overarching theme of the book feels like the, yeah. The, yeah. Which is a, a better choice to be, which is, you know, people fighting in a war often aren't anti-war at the time. They may become mm-hmm. so yeah. later. They're more caught up in the war. Like, we just need to get out of it. Uh, and I, I, I like that he's like, you, the reader, should be anti-war seeing all this. The people involved are too busy surviving. In in the book however isn't the culture right like am i am i wrong in thinking that the culture goes to war with the iterans like kind of voluntarily because their their minds have calculated that long term it's going to be there'll be less death if they intervene yeah than if they just Which let is the why uh she puts herself to sleep to make sure that that yeah. was true she wants to justify it and so that wasn't wait so it wasn't true or it was true it was true so the culture was correct if they hadn't if they hadn't intervened like the, the culture I think what's what what I recoil at is how um inhuman and logical and rational uh the culture is where it can go yeah well we need to kill 15 billion people because it'll if we kill 15 billion people it's going to piss off 40 billion people and it'll help us win this battle like it's just it's a very numbers game mm. kind of thing in a way that we yep. don't tend to think um but at the same time though at the end of the day that, that's basically the, the calculation they had was uh, we've we've determined that if we let the Iterans run roughshod, more people will die in the galaxy, even beyond the areas we care to control. Uh, Long term, even though 860 billion people will die as a result of this war, it'll still be less than if the Iterans took everything over. So they're mm-hmm. they're still kind of right, although I guess it's repugnant either way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking they didn't of give diplomacy a, a chance. Well, anyway, I don't know. Too too ideologically uh, different, I guess. I'm not sure that uh, the war in Las Islas Malvinas was an inspiration either. <laughs> we like I was gonna say we we kind of already covered this, but uh, Jen says <laughs> no spoilers in this comment. But I really wish someone would have warned me not to listen to chapter six right before lunch. Insert vomiting noises here. <laughs> so Trike says this was interesting because there were a lot of people followed up on that and, and said, "Oh, it. there's some." who lemmed it or like, Ooh, the torture scenes. I was braced for that. And when I got to what I think they were talking about, maybe because they had built it up so much, I'm like, well, that's not pleasant, but I thought it'd be much worse. Oh, it was pretty bad. Tom, that scene was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. I thought it was pretty bad. But then Which, are we all talking about the same scene? I think we're talking about we're not, the we're not scene. Talking, are, we, are we talking about the eaters where we're like yeah, the guy takes the out the chompers? Are we talking about that? Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm talking the about. The custom dentures. It was pretty gross. Oh. Maybe I'm ha- maybe I can't couldn't picture it well enough. And, but and I was, then uh, he climbs I mean, on top of it and I enjoyed it. 
enjoyed to completion. it. But I missed the humping bit. Is that what was? I thought he was just suffocating yeah. somebody. No, he like slithers on top of it and like humps it and then orgasms and groans and then oh, they peel him gross. off of it. Yeah, no, I know. I, it was gross. I, I, no, I it's thought, totally gross. I'm not trying to defend it. I was just like, oh, I thought it was going to be even worse than that. You really did have your expectations pretty high. I built it up. I yeah. don't want to know what the full length and width of Tom Spectrum is. <laughs> 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 if Tom's like, yeah, man, that was a four out of ten, right? I'm like, the no, parish that I ever I experienced a six an, on the Tom I would scale. call that an eight out of ten on didn't need <laughs> didn't need to expose myself. I was expecting a ten out of ten based on what some mm. of the people were okay. saying. Yeah, okay. I expected, though, that that was going to continue throughout the book. It did not keep if, that if same may, level. It was a like... Ooh, would would rather you didn't. Not a. I'm putting this book down right now. I can't read another word. I gotcha. had to pause yeah. a couple times in the audiobook and be like, <gasps> "Were you doing it two x though? Maybe that helped." One point five. Uh, apparently, my I, I was protected by my <laughs> own Norman Rockwell innocence, to where I couldn't comprehend the the horror that I was reading about. Maybe that was, was like, part huh. of it for me too, because I didn't get that part that yeah. Veronica was mentioning. Yeah. It didn't sink. Gotta sink. be. <laughs> yeah, I gotta be in this <laughs> brain right here. <laughs> gotta like really <laughs> know what you're looking yeah. for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, so sorry for Jen and everyone else who read that part and was uh, my favorite comment though is by Trike. Where he is, I assume, quoting uh, Ian M. Banks. And in chapter six, I'm going to go full Stephen King, right after I lull them with a bit of Kipling and Austin, evil laugh. <laughs> so, yeah, true that. And then finally, the final verdict we have a thread. Um, I believe from Tomahome, yes. Um, here's a bookend for the impressions thread. There was a place around chapter 12 where it slowed down and I felt like taking a Prozac. But once <laughs> I got to chapter 13, it was very dramatic, if not cinematic. And I was happy with how it turned out. Okay, Tomahome. Um, it's very dark, though. And sometimes I don't quite understand what he's describing. I hear the later books are supposed to be different and more from the culture's point of view. So I think yeah. we can all agree that it's 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 the greatest exegesis about the Falkland conflict that's yet been penned. <laughs> Lost Malvinas, but yeah, um, I I I do agree that when you get to Shar's world, it just now it it just takes off, and that's when I finally found it easy to listen to. Up up until that point, I was enjoying parts of it, but I was definitely assigning myself the time to listen. Uh, once you get to Shar's world, I was I was carried along. I was like, oh, I'm going to keep listening while I do the dishes and, and that sort of thing. And that that was a, a lot more fun. I found it very exciting. Like I, the action yeah. scenes were very exciting, um, even if I had some difficulty picturing the set pieces a little bit. Um, so and, and then when they cut down the cat's crew, I really felt much more of a of a, uh, you know, understanding of who the people left alive were. Um, after that first terrible battle scene um, that where everything kind of falls apart with the cat's crew. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know what I would rate this if, if I were to rate this on Goodreads. Maybe I feel like for me, it'd be like maybe a three and a half. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. When, uh, when Yalson died, uh, which by the way, shouldn't be lost on people. She is a furry humanoid. That's yeah. the, that that you know like do we know do we know I how think, furry because he, he has these kind of tender scenes where he's like you know he yeah. cuddled up next to her and felt the soft fur of her and i was like mm-hmm. like is she, so, so is she like kind of a like island of dr moreau cat lady kind of thing yeah 
That's yeah, the impression okay. I got. Yeah. Uh, and again, that's one of those those kind of throwaway things that I think in, in reading it in 2021, we're like, oh, okay, so he's got a he, he's got a non conventional relationship, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. And 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 in 1987, it's like, wait, your love interest is a furry non human. That's not that weird. Uh, I mean, Star Trek was all about like hooking up Kirk with like weird furry or but blue not furry. ladies. Whenever, yeah, they might yeah. be green or blue, yeah, but everybody's the same from the neck down in Star Trek. It's just a question of what the eyebrows and ears look like. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, the nose. They they got a crinkle on their nose. Mm-hmm. Perfect, perfect. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I um I, I forgot what I was why I brought up Yelson, but uh oh, when she died, I thought, oh no, she died, and then everybody started dying. And I was like, Oh, well, I guess I'm not as broken up about Yelson anymore. Yeah. All right. Well, that wraps up our discussion. Heaton, thank you so much for for joining us and and lending your your commentary to the show. Did you? Uh, did, we'd love to have you back sometime. This was really fun. I would love to come back. I hope that I I didn't derail things too much beyond the the, the normal fantastic work that you do. It's always a pleasure, and I very much enjoyed it. Thank you for having me on. Where can everyone follow your work and and buy your book and all that good stuff? Well, so I I host a sci-fi podcast that is a shadow of the glory that is this sci-fi podcast. Oh, you're too However, if if you've already listened to this episode, and then as you should listen to a, a second time to pick up on the stuff that you didn't pick up on the first time, at that point, you could check out my show, Alienating the Audience, where I, I do a deep dive on science fiction. And if you enjoy funny coffee table books, I would highly recommend you buy the book Los Angeles is Hideous, Poems About an Ugly City, which you can get at www.laisugly.com. My favorite is the poem about the weed whackers. They're always there. It's just Tom told me about that. And I was like, I know, I know Tom resonated with that in a major way. (laughs) Yeah, you you actually texted me about that, Tom. You just just texted me, there's always a weed whacker. I mean, I knew knew by context what it was. I was like, yeah, that, that apparently hit an emotional chord. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And for you folks out there, thank you for listening. Our show is currently entirely funded by you, our patrons. Thank you so much to all of you who back our show. If you want to help us out, you can head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. You can also support the show by buying books through our links. Find links to the books we talk about and some of our favorites at swordandlaser.com slash picks. Drop us an email, feedback at swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. And we are on Instagram and Twitter at sword and laser. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye. This podcast is part of the Frog Pants Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.